tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. I solved the entire problem of the Reformation today. You're just 500 years late, that's all. (laughs) Yes, I'm 500 years late, but not to worry. We're going to solve the problem, but before I launch into it, it would probably be wise to pray. Oh, dear. (laughs) I will start the show off by saying, take what I say with a grain of salt, but I think I've got a a, a thing here. We'll have fun. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's the salt shaker, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created. You shall remove the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And Lord, we're looking for peace in the world. But that said, let us leap into the deep end of the biblical pool by opening the big book on the coffee table. Are you the lifeguard in the biblical pool, Father? I'm the lifeguard in the biblical pool. Okay, you know... um, I'm probably not going to get to the gospel today, but we'll try. Uh, um, oh, well, let's just look at the gospel real quickly. Luke eleven forty-seven to 54. Um, Woe to you who build memorials of the prophets whom your fathers killed. I, I alarm people by saying I probably would have sided with Judas. I mean, really. I have a theory that Judas betrayed Christ in his heart. When Jesus turned to the disciples after he said to everybody, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life in you. And people thought, this guy is crazy. And they began to leave. And he turned to the 12 and he said, will you also go? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of everlasting life. I would have thought with Pete, with Judas, I know where I can go. I'm getting out of this mess. He's going to get us killed. Judas had his head screwed on straight. He knew that they, this guy was this guy was trouble. Um, everyone else said, oh, don't say you're going to get crucified, Lord. And Jesus would say, get behind me, Satan. Well, Judas, he was right in front of him, Satan. Uh, you see you see what I'm talking about? You know, that Judas cooperated with the authorities. Well, he'd seen all these miracles. Oh, maybe it was just crowd hysteria. You can explain away any miracle. You can explain it away, no matter how great it is. People explained away the resurrection. So, you know, Judas, Judas was doing the reasonable thing. And so often we do what we think is prudent and reasonable and we betray Christ by it. So, um, you know, uh, there comes a point uh, uh, where we have to say the world's going that way. I'm going with Christ. All right. That said, 
That's just, and, 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 and we, we look back, oh, I would certainly have never betrayed Christ. I betrayed him so many times in my life by sin, and so have you, because the text says, <laughs> in, in, in the text today we read, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now we're in, back to the letter of the Romans, the third chapter, all have sinned. The word sin, hamartia, comes from sports. It means to miss the target. That's literally what it means. If you shot an arrow and missed the target, which when I shoot an arrow, the camp counselors would always hide. I was pretty bad. Uh, It was a missing of the target. You would say in Greek, oh, he sinned. God has a plan for your life. And guess what? You may not achieve it. You may not even get close to it. All have sinned and are deprived of the glory, the, the perfect plan of God. Okay, now let's look at the text. Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though testified to by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. They are justified freely by his grace. Now, let's translate that into English. What is the righteousness of God? That means, in Hebrew, it's Zedekiah. And Paul ultimately was Jewish. And he thought of these things, these basic concepts, I suspect, first in Hebrew. So the Zedekiah of God, what's Zedekiah? A tzaddik is a man whose good deeds outweigh his bad deeds. It has to do with deeds in, in Hebrew thinking. I, I struggled with the word righteousness. And when I think of righteous, when we think of righteous in English, we think of somebody who's, well, kind of pedantic and boring and we don't you know we want to make sure that uh this is this is bless me bless me uh listeners for i've sinned and you're in the grocery store and you see some parishioners down the aisle as a priest you quickly look in your shopping cart to make sure that you don't have you know piles of lobster and prime prime beef you know bad for donations <laughs> yeah exactly yeah funny that's righteousness you know someone righteous comes along and you hide what's in your shopping cart hey that's now. not righteousness righteousness is about the uh, um the very nature of god righteousness includes generosity and mercy righteousness the fruits of the holy spirit love peace patience and joy Righteousness is truth and love together. Uh, it isn't what we think of as righteousness, you know, that kind of person who kind of looks you up and down and says, well, they're not so bad. Not what righteousness is. Righteousness is the this very nature of godliness. So the, the, this godly nature is not one for us through the law. Well, clearly that means we don't have to follow any rules. Oh, I beg your pardon, but we we certainly have to. Let's move on in the text. Uh, how do we arrive at this nature of God? Not through the law, but through trust in Jesus Christ. For all who trust, there is no distinction. We're, we've all sinned. Now, let's move on to the clincher here. Uh, let's see here. What occasion is there then for boasting at the bottom of this passage? It's ruled out. On what principle? That of works? No, rather on the principle of faith. For we consider that a person is justified by faith. That or they may. They're made godly by trust apart from works of the law. Now, don't forget that in the second chapter of the letter of the Romans, 
Paul tells us that we will be judged by our works. I've seen translations that translate it will be justified by our deeds. The word is ergon, which means work. The word that's almost dishonest to translate the word erga as, as deeds in one place and works in another. Works of the law. When St. Paul, t- well, let me, let me jump ahead. Uh, it seems to contradict what James is saying in his second chapter, the 24th verse. So we see then that one is justified from works, that a man is justified from works and not from faith alone. The only place in the Bible that has the phrase faith alone is James 2.24. And he says we are not justified by faith alone. Well, then Paul says we are justified by faith alone. No, he doesn't. He says we're justified by faith. And for faith, read trust here. What's going on? Well, this passage could not have been understood by medieval people or by early modern people. It could not have been understood, I think, until the the unless you, you believe what the Catholic Church taught. I mean, Catholicism has preserved the meaning of this through 2,000 years. But if you just read this, these two things, you would think, well, the Bible's contradicting itself. And it is a strong tradition that Luther wanted to take the letter of James out of the Scriptures. He did not find it inspired. (laughs) I'm not going there. But There was a scroll, a Dead Sea Scroll, that was discovered. And it talked, It was titled, Some Works of the Law. The only place where the phrase, works of the law, was is found in, in, in Jewish literature is in Romans, the third chapter, the 27th verse, and a few other places. And in the Dead Sea Scroll, Mixat Masayatara, Some Works of the Law. The only place. This scroll is fascinating because it talks about works of the law. If, for instance, a rodent falls into a clay pot, the clay pot is defiled, unclean. Now, if you are, and clay cannot be purified once it's made unclean, it must be broken. Stone can't be made unclean, but clay can't be purified. Now, if you're pouring water from a clay pitcher into a clay pot that has been defiled and made unclean ritually, can the uncleanness of the pot leap up the stream of water and pollute the clay pitcher so that it too must be destroyed? The Dead Sea, uh, the Dead Sea folks said, why, of course. Uh, the Pharisees said, no. And Jesus and St. Paul said, get a life. Um, I don't know that they said it that way. I'm translating loosely. But you see the point. That's a work, and the, the scroll ends, and these are some works of the law. I think there are 16 things like touching a dead body and uh, the tanning of leather and uh, uh, all these sorts of things. Bergsma, in his book, uh, Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls, goes, in, goes into it at length. Works of the law, St. Paul are saying, are not going to justify you. But he clearly says that God will judge you by your works. And it is so funny because, uh, let me pull that up. Um, God will judge you. So you have the Bible bullet. Okay. 
Okay, there we go. Okay, I got it. Got to get it before the thinking music happens. Okay, I got it. Okay, Romans 2, 6. God will repay each one according to, in this translation, what they have done. God will repay each one according to his deeds. The word is works in the text. So uh, um, King James renders it, will render it according to his deeds. No, the word is works. It's exactly the same word that St. Paul is using in Romans 3.27. So moving along here, what's going on? You, you can't be justified by the minutiae of kosher law. Doesn't work. And that's what Paul is saying. He is not saying that good deeds are, are incidental or unimportant to our salvation. Because you see, I need to accept Christ. I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I may accept him with my mouth, but not with the fullness of the heart. We read in Romans uh, 10, is it 10, 11, uh, the, 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 the idea of justification, that um, the one who says Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, hold on, let me, um, so let me pull that up. One is justified. Okay, Romans, no, 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 I'm not getting the right one. But Romans, it's got to be Romans 10, 11. Let me get that. Good grief. Good grief. Okay, I'm getting it. Yes, Romans 10, 11. For the scripture saith, whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Uh, let's see here. Have I got it right? No, I don't. But that text talks about belief. belief uh, uh, oh, good grief. I, I should have pulled it up. I didn't think of it earlier. Uh, maybe. Oh, wait, wait. Hold on. Let me get let me get this. Okay. Yeah, exactly. There's the wait music, and I think we need it at the moment. Okay. Okay, I'll get it. Romans. All right, Romans 10. All right. Okay, I'm almost there. Yes, I've got it. I've got it. Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When I read that as a modern American, I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I would say, Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart. I really feel it in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's look at that believing in your heart. Again, the word believe means to trust. And your heart is the deepest part of you. And I say, I believe in my heart. I really feel it. Well, then, that Jesus raised him from the dead. So you're going you're gonna to act a certain way. Well, what way am I going to act? You're going to give to the poor. You're going to live a life that's godly. Well, it doesn't say that. Yes, it does. Because you see, if you're believing in your heart, in the deepest part of you, it's going to change the way you act. If I come into a hall and the place is crowded and I see a, a, a rickety folding chair and I think, well, that chair will, will certainly hold my, my clerical dignity. And uh, uh, I say, it's, clearly it will, it'll work for me. I'm not trusting in my heart until I put my great clerical dignity in that chair. You see, if I trust in my deepest heart, 
I'm going to put my eggs in a certain basket and I'm going to put my dignity in that chair. If I say, oh, it's fine, I, I think it will hold me, I'm not going to risk it, but it'll hold me. I'm not trusting in my heart. You see, to trust in your heart means you will do something. And the idea that there's a separation between good works and salvation is clearly against the sense of Scripture. Uh, if you understand these things, in the, when St. Paul says we're not saved by works, invariably, if you look at the context, he's talking about kosher law. And remember, at least in my theory, that the letter to the Romans is about reconciling the non-Jewish and the Jewish community of the Church of Rome. How can it be that a Jew and a Greek can get along? And Paul charts out a way that, that is respectful of the law. The purpose of the law was to point out our imperfection. The purpose of grace is to give us the opportunity to be like God. Now, a pivotal verse in this is in the first chapter of the letter of St. John. He says, he gave us grace upon grace. And literally, that's antikaritos, which means grace against grace. In other words, God calls you, and you say, go away, God, I'm busy. <laughs> well, you've rejected the grace, and God lets you do that. But if you say, yes, Lord, then he says, I would like you to pray. A second grace, a slightly larger one. Yes, Lord, I would like you to go start working in a soup kitchen. Another grace, a greater grace. I would like you to uh, 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 begin to to, to to visit hospitals, more grace. The point at which you say, nah, Lord, enough is enough. You stop growing in the Lord. He gives you grace after grace. So we are saved by grace, but we're free to reject that grace. And the grace that God gives us leads us to do things that are reflective of the nature of God. So yes, I believe in my heart and I love Jesus and Jesus is my Lord. Is Jesus in charge of your life? That's what Lord means. It, the word Lord could could mean landlord, the, the same word. Uh, is Jesus is Jesus the guy who owns you? Well, yes, he owns me, but I'm not going to do anything he says because, well, that'll take work and I'm saved by grace. I don't need to do anything because I'm saved by grace. You know, if all you need to do is ask Jesus to save you, then all Catholics who say the rosary are going to heaven. Oh, Jesus, to the or oh, Jesus, glory be the Father, Holy Spirit, Lord, me now. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. I've called out to Jesus, asking him to save me. So all Catholics who say the rosary by that criterion are saved. If they're right, then we're all saved. If we're wrong, and those people say, all you have to do is accept Jesus as Lord and say, Jesus is my Lord, you're going to heaven. If they're wrong, then all sorts of people are not going to heaven who think they're going. You follow? The sense of Scripture is you must be adopted and take on the nature of Christ, which he gives you by his grace, and you can say no to that grace at any time. And you're not saved by a work. You're saved by, by, by trusting Jesus. But if you're not doing the work, you're not trusting Jesus. It's not a problem. St. Saint, Saint James and St. Paul do not contradict each other. St. Paul is saying, you're not saved by just trusting alone. You have to put your, you have to put, you're saved by, by, by belief in your heart and in your head, in your hands and in your feet, that you trust Jesus when you obey him. St. Paul is saying, you can just tot up 
you know, I have never eaten not a shred of pork, and I never touch catfish, and and I certainly have never worn a garment that is wool and and cotton together. I must be going to heaven. Those are the that's the law. Those are the works of the law. So, you know, it's it's a great shame that Christianity is divided over what is essentially a quibble of language. And I think we need to respect one another and love one another. And all this said, I have known evangelical people who are more infinitely more reflective of the life of God than I am. But, but it's the theology of the kind of one saved, always saved. If you said the sinner's prayer, you're going to heaven, move on with it. I, I don't think that's the sense of scripture. All right, let's go to a break and we'll come back with some letters and we're going to open the phones, our Catholic Order of Foresters toll-free line at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Is this grace music or works music? I don't know. Today, we'd like to thank Deborah, who's listening in California for donating her 1986 Volkswagen Jetta. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Can't be more than a mile or so from Cincinnati, Ohio, Cincinnati. that song because we want to welcome Cincinnati and Dayton to the relevant radio family. That's on uh, WNKN 105.9 FM. And, you know, I I have to comment. Everyone's calling saying Cincinnati. That's not how you say it. It's Cincinnati. That's the way great grandma said it. And she was from Cincinnati. Uh, so if there are any schmaltzigaugs still in Cincinnati, you're a cousin of mine. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, and then they've got that wonderful uh, Over the Rhine, which is a an area of Cincinnati. It was such a German town at one point in its history, and uh, they still have things like Cincinnati Scrapple, Scrapple, not Scrabble, Scrapple, which is a an interesting sausage that I like. It's uh, moving along from the cuisine of Cincinnati. Let us move on to letters. Where did I put the letters? Where's the letters? Oh, here they are. Okay, okay, let me move down here. Yeah, it's it's a Zinzanati. That's what Grandma called it. Okay. All right, I'm almost there. Almost there. Okay. All right, this, I think, is one of the letters. Um, Oh, this is a very lovely letter I got from uh, Maria Mercedes in uh, Wisconsin Rapids. Who um, wanted to th- thank you for what I said to a mom who has recent, uh, recently joined the Catholic uh, Church, and it's kind of hard. Her daughter's entering a cloistered convent, and access to her daughter will be extremely limited if she persists in a vocation, a monastic vocation. But, I mean, there'll be, um, there'll be communication. I mean, it's not uh, complete <laughs> cutting off. But um, uh, she... The, Maria says she belonged to a, a Christian group called Hurting Moms, Mending Hearts. These were the moms of young adults who were homeless, addicts, and in jail. And this group came together to focus on our relationship with the Lord instead of putting all our energies on our difficult children. 
I have a child who is has mental health issues. I know it would be difficult for this mom, but I would trade with her any any minute, and I'm sure other moms might do as well. Uh, so uh, it's hard to understand that, that kind of what seems to be an isolation so foreign to the world, but it's very, very real. All right. Um, uh, this is an anonymous fan who says, "'Tis the season to ask this question. Is it sinful to watch horror movies or evil theme movies?' Oh, it's hard to say. How evil? I mean, you got to understand garbage in, garbage out. And I certainly would not have children watch movies that glorified evil um, or movies that were going to give them or you nightmares. Um <sighs> There's enough sins in the world, and I don't want to say it's seriously sinful to watch those movies. I think it might be, uh, to expose children to those kinds of movies, I think is is much more dangerous. But, you know, there are, there are fun movies uh, to watch at this time of the year um, uh, that are not, that don't uh, glorify... Uh, that don't glorify violence. So, you know, again, I don't want to go so far as to say that it's sinful. Certainly it is sinful to watch movies that are suggestive. And so many of these, these um, modern, more modern violent movies have, are sexually themed. Uh, some of the old Frankenstein movies, that sort of thing, you know, it's, it's, they're probably pretty Set corny by our standards now. Sadic giver. That's that's young Frankenstein, which is not for younger or more sensitive audiences. Uh, but you know, I, I wish I could. Pont- what is it? Uh, uh, pontificate uh, uh, with greater surety on this. It depends on the level of violence, the level of fear, and uh, the. Uh, the age and disposition of the viewer. If you're sensitive to that stuff, don't watch it. I remember I saw the movie The Exorcist when it came out. I was in school, a student, and uh, I slept like a rock after The Exorcist. I, I had, was really active at the time in the charismatic renewal, and I really knew that well, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. No problem. Slept like a rock. I saw Ordinary People, which was about some young people who had essentially been abandoned by wealthy parents who went about golfing. Um, I had nightmares after that one because I knew people who had done that. <laughs> and their kids were in therapy and they were in the golf course. So um, it wasn't a problem for me, but it might have been a problem for you. And certainly I would not expose children to those kinds of movies. You know, uh, it's it's kind of difficult. It's a, it's, it's a difficult season for us uh, uber-Catholics. We... Threaded. You know, another thing, since I'm talking about it, I think celebrating uh, Halloween for children is not a bad thing if it is moderate. When I was a kid, it was part of a three-day celebration of the, of the power of God. We celebrated all Halloween, which was All Hallows' Eve. Then the next day was All Saints' Day. The next day was All Souls' Day. It's kind of like whispering past the grave. And it was three days of of celebration of the triumph of Christianity over evil and death. And you went around, you got candy, and and uh, you dressed up like a Superman or, or, or something like that. Now it's become an adult party that is 
that's a little scary. And uh, as an adult, I would I would say we need to avoid Halloween parties as adults. Uh, if you have a, a, a party for kids where they dress up, dress them like a saint or a superhero, uh, again, you want to avoid something that's intensely violent. And, you know, take them to a, a if, you, if you're in a, in a Christian group of like-minded parents, have a, a Halloween party that's joyous, that's a celebration of the saints. You know, forbidden fruit is sweetest. And if we completely forbid these things to children, they might develop a, a morbid fascination. If we moderate them and explain them that we're celebrating the eve of All Saints Day in which God has um, triumphed over, over evil. And that's what we're celebrating. Let them know that and then uh, celebrate accordingly. So uh, it's it's a tough time for us. And it has become this rather violent and erotic themed event for adults. And I think we we don't want to do that. So, all right, that's those are my thoughts on it. Uh, let's see here. I got one here. This is, um, okay, this is an interesting one. In Peter 5, 1, Peter refers to himself as an elder and the other elders present. Wouldn't it have made more impact and been more effective to speak from his authority as Pope? If that was the case, what purpose would it serve to have that authority and not act in it? Present-day popes and past popes then are going about in the wrong way. Now, you got to understand the papacy. The pope is the bishop of Rome. Well, no, the bishop of Rome is the pope. Pope isn't, isn't the Bishop of Rome. The Bishop of Rome is the Pope. Isn't that the same thing? Not quite. The primary job of the Bishop of Rome is the Church of Rome. And that was the way it worked for centuries and probably the way it should work. Uh, the, the abdication of Roman authority, Roman governmental authority in West, the western part of the empire occasioned uh, involvement of bishops and the papacy in keeping the peace and making sure that things like, well, the poor were fed and the sick were cared for, that sort of thing. So gradually the, the papacy became more involved with the politics of Europe. And we kind of think that's what the papacy was about. It's not. It's about the pastoral care of Rome and the pastoral care of bishops. The bishop is, an, is, the, is the elder of the elders. He is the pastor of the pastors. His job, as Jesus said to, to um, Peter, is to strengthen the brethren. And the word elder and the word episkopos, bishop, were probably interchangeable in the first days. Every, every bishop is a priest. Every priest is a deacon. I was ordained a deacon, then I was ordained a presbyter. Uh, an arch, a bishop or archbishop or would have been ordained then to a further degree of the one sacrament of holy orders. Uh, it would have been ordained uh, to the order of overseer, supervisor. I didn't cease to be a deacon when I was ordained a presbyter, and a bishop doesn't cease to be an elder, a presbyter, when he's ordained a bishop. So Peter is doing the exactly the correct thing by saying, you know, we're together in this. And I think that that is uh, a very important thing to understand, that that we may look at the church as a military organization, but I say constantly, that's not what hierarchy means. Hierarchy means sacred leadership. The first sacred leadership is mom and dad. It was established with Adam and Eve. And the leadership of the church is supposed to be familial. 
God looks at the church as a family, not as a a non-governmental organization concerned with the politics of the world. Though we live in the world and we can't ignore the politics of the world, our primary concern is the nurturing of the faithful, the sons and daughters of God by adoption. That's what the Episcopate is about, and the Bishop of Rome is the Bishop of Bishops, and that's that's the way I think that, that God sees it. That's my thoughts on it. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will go to... Um, uh, uh, phones again, uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149, but we're going to come back with our word of the day. It's a real nice way to spend a day in Dayton, Ohio, on a lazy Sunday afternoon in 1903. Let's sing a song. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. The banjo is a happy instrument on the Ohio. All right. We're celebrating the new presence of Relevant Radio on 105.9 in Dayton and Zinzanati, as Grandma used to say it. All right. Let us go now to the word of the day. Oh, there's the gong. All right. You know, in the first reading, we read, what occasion is there for boasting? It's ruled out. On what principle that it works? And I thought, how is he saying this? The principle of faith, What what is the Greek word for it? And as always, I looked it up and thought, what? That's an odd way to translate this. Literally, it's where then is the boasting? It is shut out. Through what law? That's a word nomos. He's talking about the law. Uh, the, through, through, uh, what law? The one of works? No, but through the law of faith, through the law of trust. So uh, this is kind of interesting to me. Again, I, I, I just want to repeat that if I say that I trust you, but then don't do what you ask me to do, do I trust you? I say, I believe in God and I don't do anything he wants because he's wrong and I'm right. That's not faith. Faith, as St. James says, show me your works and I'll show you what you believe in. Uh, uh, don't say, well, I have trust and you have works. No, St. James says it doesn't work. Show me what you're doing. I'll tell you what you trust. All right, let us now go to phone calls. Hello, Ghostbusters. Well, tis the season, as someone wrote. Again, 888-914-9149. We got lines open, 888-914-9149. Let us go to John from Philadelphia that has its own form of Scrapple. John, what can I do for you? Good afternoon, Father. Does a Catholic commit a sin receiving Holy Communion if they do not accept the Church's doctrine of transubstantiation. If they refuse to accept that doctrine, I would say yes. Now, however, let us look at what this means. When I say, I believe that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, 
When I say that in modern English, I'm saying I am of the opinion that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. I'm not of that opinion. I trust that it is because Jesus said so. If I come up to communion and say, you know, I don't see how this would work. Tastes like bread, looks like bread. But Jesus said, this is my body. So, and 2,000 years of Christians have said, yeah, it's his body. I'm trusting him. That's different than what we mean. If I don't accept intellectually that this is possible, that's one thing. But if I say, but I will trust God and trust what he's taught through the, through this 2,000-year history of the church, then that's fine. If I say, nah, this is nonsense. Because St. Paul says, he who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks to condemnation. So a refusal to trust, that would be uh, um, wrong. Uh, I've heard it said a thousand questions do not constitute one doubt. Uh, to say I don't, I don't know how this works. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm trusting Jesus. That would be fine. Does that answer your question, John? Very good, Father. Thank you. Yes. All right. God bless, John. Thanks for calling right. in. Right. Let's go to Teresa from Covina, California. Blessings, Father, and to relevant radio listeners. Uh, first of yeah. all, Scrapple, we called it head cheese in New York. Great stuff. Oh, um, my... and, uh, we call head cheese sort of sort of pork jello. Hmm, yes. But go on. Well, that, yeah, that's head cheese. Oh, another wonderful thing with vinegar. Mm, moving on, it's sort of bits of pork in aspic. But most people find it repulsive, but I love it. But moving along to, re now don't send any. I uh, don't, uh, I mentioned I like something and people start sending it. I'm still getting gummy bears. Let's go to Teresa. We're, we're with Teresa from Covina. Go on. What can I do for you, Teresa? No, Teresa. If you can hear me, call in again, Teresa. We'll go to David from Miami, Florida. David, what can I do for you? Your father just wanted to say that uh, I was told that the, uh, what was done away with was the sacrificial law because the priest uh, no longer needed to do that because Jesus died on the cross, but everything mm -hmm. else basically remained the same. I, I don't know if that's just a uh, teaching I was taught, but I, I just wanted to get your feedback on that. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, uh, make of your bodies a living sacrifice to God, and it talks about the sacrifice of thanksgiving. What the rabbis taught, and it's in Talmud, is that when the Messiah comes, all the sacrifices of the law will be done away with, except for one, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And the sacrifice of thanksgiving was offered when someone had been saved from the imminent danger of death. And it consisted of uh, 40 loaves of bread and a lamb and wine. And uh, uh, th th this was to be offered as the messianic sacrifice. And you took the 40 loaves of bread, half of them leavened, half of them unleavened, and you ate them in the camp or in Jerusalem, as it happened to be, with your friends and relatives. The early church discerned that what Jesus had done at the Last Supper, what they continued to do, was the messianic sacrifice. So the idea that, that the sacrifice would be done away with, uh, it says, the scripture does say that Jesus died on the cross, was sacrificed once and for all. And when we hear that, uh, uh, we translate it as we don't need any more sacrifices. But the word epipox, which is, it means Jesus was sacrificed all at once. And what we've always interpreted that to mean was that on the cross, Jesus anticipated 
every sacrifice of the Mass, and that for God, who for whom there is no time, everything is now, that the Mass I, you went to last Sunday, uh, the 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 recognizing of Christ at Emmaus, the Last Supper, Calvary, they're all one moment. Mass for us is a kind of time machine in which we go back to Calvary. So there's only one sacrifice of the cross, but it's extended throughout history. St. Paul says, I make up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What could be lacking in the sufferings of Christ except for my participation? So this idea that, well, no more sacrifices are necessary, Paul says most certainly they are. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And we do that at Mass. We don't go to Mass to get something. We go to Mass to give something, to give ourselves to the Lord. Does that answer your question, David? Very good perspective, Father. Thank you very much. Yes. God right. bless. Thanks for calling, David. Let's go Let's go back to Teresa from Covina. What can I do for you, Teresa? My sister was a prayer warrior and mm-hmm. a mortgage board Catholic. And uh, she passed on... Um, uh, no, October seventh, uh, feast day of the blessed, you know, the Holy Rosary. I am, yeah. and, and 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 she has no, she has no uh, services, uh, no services at all uh, for mm-hmm. her three daughters and family. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned. I was, I was really concerned about the, her soul and going to hell. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm very concerned about that. I I wouldn't worry about it. If she loved the Lord and she did her best to obey him, you know, uh, Saint, Saint, or Saint, I can't realize him, C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters puts in the mouth of the devil the words that God, God will do his very best to save a soul on the most sophistical grounds. In other words, God is anxious to save every one of us. And if your sister did not, um, you know, if she genuinely believed that she was obeying the Lord, the Lord will take that into account. And the fact that she has not had mass said for her, this is not her fault. Um, what I would do is I would have mass said for her, go to the nearest parish church and ask them to offer a mass for your sister and you keep her in your prayers. Uh, you know, I wouldn't worry about her, her not being taken into paradise because, uh, she didn't have a funeral mass, but, uh, you know, I would worry much more for her daughters, uh, who denied their own mother uh, a funeral mass. So, so that's what I would do. Have mass said for it. Does that help a little, Teresa? Yes, and God bless you, Father. Yes. God bless. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to Sue from Thank Chicagoland. <laughs> Sue, what Father. can I do for you? Hello. Hi. A question. A lot of things are going on with the Dia de los Muertos, and so oh, I gosh. don't. The children are talking about it at their school, public school, and there's that Disney cartoon. And it's bizarre, and I know that uh, people, Catholics, think it's great, and they don't really understand. So could you please explain? I did hear that we are not supposed to be doing that at all. Well, it's it's a big Mexican feast in which it's probably a bit of hybridization between uh, 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 indigenous culture and Spanish culture. But... Um, you know, I think it does give children a wrong impression about what happens, what heaven and hell and death are all about. And I, you know, I, I again, I, I have not seen the Disney movie and won't. I, I'm not fond of Disney anymore because they are, uh, I don't know that they reflect the values that I would want children to have, but I don't want to go there. Um, 
You know, the Day of the Dead has become very trendy because we're so inclusive and we want to include people. It, it'll stop being trendy after a while, but I would, I would say, gosh, you know, this is, it's a tough question. I would not overemphasize it one way or the other. You know, if you read your kids the riot act, this is evil, this is wrong. That's an emphasis of it. If you say, oh, it's wonderful, let's celebrate the Day of the Dead. Say, well, that's a, uh, that's also an overemphasis of it. I would, I would just um, kind of, you know, not make a big deal out of it. Um, again, uh, you want to acknowledge these customs, but not make a big deal out of them. Say, well, that's a Mexican custom, and it's a custom in which they would go to the cemetery on the evening of All Saints and All Souls Day, and they would pray for the dead. That's what it originally was. And the Disney movie is just kind of crazy. It's just fantasy. So, you know, that's not what the Day of the Dead is about. The Day of the Dead is a day for praying for those for the souls in purgatory. That's how I would approach it. And let them know that, well, they're not, uh, you know, the world's got it wrong, like the world mostly does. Does that help a little? Yes, Father. Shall we just tell the kids then? They're having it at school public school, that we should tell them it's oh, public school, yeah. it's the same, it's the same yeah, as yeah. All Souls Day, basically. Yeah, it's all, it's all Souls Day, and it's a day that we the Mexicans especially pray for the dead and remember their relatives who are dead and gone before them, uh, and, and the public schools have it all wrong. I would, I would protest personally that this is a, a, a violation of the separation clause. It's an establishment of religion by a government organization and a violation of the separation clause. We certainly couldn't talk about uh, about All Saints Day in a public school, but we will talk about uh, a morbid fascination with death. Uh, it, it's absolutely inconsistent, but you know, I, I, that's just me. But yeah, just just let the kids know. You know, they this is a Catholic thing, and they've got it all wrong. You know, they got it all wrong. That's what I that's what I would emphasize. Does that help a little? It's also the parents who are pushing it, Father. They think it's great because it's well, a Disney show. That's my yeah, daughter. Yeah, yeah, just, just, tell just tell them that they've got it wrong. The world doesn't understand what we originated this thing, and the world has taken it and perverted it, as they've okay. taken and perverted a lot of Catholic things because they don't want the responsibility of following Christ. You know, okay, they've got it wrong. Got they've it. taken a real thing and they've messed it up. There you go. All right. Hope that helps. Thank you. Yes, God bless, Sue. All right. Let's go to Jean from Tampa, Florida. Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my yes. call. All right. I have a question. It's in a review. I tried to research. I know that you've talked about deacons, and you've done a great job oh, yes. of the meaning of the word. You also spoke about their stole and the shape of the stole and the yes. history of the stole. Could you review the, the I couldn't find it in your <laughs> in the archive. Well, it's it's the, the stole of the deacon. Um, these things go back to <laughs> to ancient Rome. That um, they they have to do with uh, actually, if I remember, uh, it, it's it's history has to do with. Uh, uh, it really was was kind of a, a, a shawl. That's the theories. The ancestry of it is kind of vague. Some people think it goes back to the Jewish stole, um, but it, it it probably was a kind of 
um, uh, liturgical vestment, and it 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 seems to come from the scarf of office of imperial officials in the Roman Empire. That's where it most probably comes from, because uh, uh, clergy members. Were, were kind of uh, taken over by the Roman government when Constantine uh, made the church uh, the religion of the Romans. So, so it was a way to designate a person's uh, job in, in, in that organization. So um, uh, it's a, it was a Roman kind of scarf of office. And, you know, the presbyter had wore the scarf one way, the deacon wore it the other way. Most fascinating to me is that in the Byzantine liturgy, at a certain point, the deacon's stole is rearranged to look like the, the uh, acolytes, the altar servers' stoles, which represent this, the, 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 uh, uh, the wings of the angels. So the deacons stand in for the angelic choir at the liturgy. Um, the priest stands in for Christ and the congregation stands in for the bride. Uh, but the, the deacon's stoles probably come from the Roman scarf of office. Does that help? Absolutely. Thank you. And, and prayers for our dear family friend was just ordained last Saturday. So well, mazel sure tov. That's great. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Let's go to Mike from Los Angeles. What can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I have like two quick questions. First of all, any priests presiding in a Mass, are they required to go from the presider's chair to the altar or tabernacle and pray before going to the pulpit to pray the Gospel? And what is between saying, saying a Mass and praying a Mass, please? Oh, well, uh, the praying and saying, I don't know that I can figure. I mean, yeah, we're supposed to say a prayer that you know, we usually say it bowed in front of the altar or the tabernacle. Uh, May the Lord be on my heart and lips to wordly proclaim the Holy Gospel according. And I'd have to be in the context to say it. But, yeah, that, that that's expected. Now, praying and saying the Mass, there are some days when I definitely pray the Mass. But then there are days when I'm tired, haven't gotten much sleep, and it takes a lot of work to get through a Mass. Um you know, I'm doing. Priests are mostly doing what they what they can do, and now uh, uh, we say a priest is only as holy as the prayers of his congregation. So you pray for your priest because uh, the scripture says, "Strike the devil, or strike the shepherd, and the sheep are scattered." But Drew, I know, is going to pray for priests. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> 